mission, I'ma get it. You know I be on the way. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fight Against Mediocrity podcast. I am giddy with excitement. I have Christopher Avery here. Uh, he has a long bio with all the stuff he's done, but I just want to tell you guys a little bit about him formally and then tell you how I was introduced to Christopher. So he was a management consultant with the driving question, why are so many smart people unhappy at work? And 25 years ago, Christopher realized that the most useful skills he was teaching his smart, ambitious professional clients were coping skills. They needed coping skills because they were stuck in a suffocating culture that systematically disempowered and controlled them. Uh, his own career trajectory, trajectory changed forever when Christopher began working with an emerging behavioral science framework, the responsibility process. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. He, uh, you know, started his company and, uh, you know, consults with one of the, some of the largest companies in the world. He has two boys um, and uh, yeah, he, you know, is a fantastic person. And, and informally, I, uh, so I wrote a book called Talk is Cheap to Fight Against Mediocrity. Um, and chapter one is actually titled 100% Responsibility. So I was teaching, you know, a group of clients that I have about that, but I thought, you know, this is kind of surface level. I really want to dive deeper in, and learn more about taking full responsibility and quickly came across Christopher Avery, his book, his website, you know, some of the things that he offered his fantastic YouTube channel. And I was, um, overwhelmed with how clear the responsibility process made decisions and made, you know, like he said, coping. And what's funny is Christopher, I don't know if this, maybe I shouldn't say this, but people will start booking calls on your calendar, but somewhere on your website, I ran into, you know, your calendar booking. And so I'm like, it's there. I'm going to, I'm going to try to book uh, an appointment. And later that day we hopped on a call and uh, here we are. So thank you so much for being here. Love what you do and excited to learn more about it. Thank you very much, Kevin. I'm, I'm pleased to be here and uh, by all means, uh, the, the reason the number is there to book a call with me is so that uh, so the event planners and CEOs can talk to me about consulting work and speaking work. And so uh, you can talk to me when we're getting ready to start another immersion program, which is one of our online programs. So it's, it's a, a fair amount of money out of your pocket as a consumer. So I'm happy to talk to people about that. Cool. Awesome. So we were talking about it a little bit before we pressed, pressed record, but it's a fascinating story. Um, and bef before I say that, it's just fascinating how long you focused on one thing and which makes you an incredible expert, but how did responsibility and the responsibility process come to be, you know, how did it, how did it all start? Uh, good question. Um, so it already existed when I was introduced to it. So let's start there. So I'm yeah. the I'm the innovator. I'm the promoter. I'm not the inventor. Uh, and uh, you know, probably your audience is probably familiar with. There's a lot of folks out there who were not the inventor of something, but but it really took them, and and they saw a way to go with it that the inventor hadn't done. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think Elon Musk is an example of that. And, um, uh, who else? Bill Gates. He didn't write. <laughs> original MS-DOS, uh, he bought it. Um, so uh, the way it originally came to be was uh, th there's a great lineage. I'll try and go through the lineage real quickly. First of all, taking 100% responsibility is a, a core principle in all the world's great religions. Uh, so it's uh, all, all sages, you know, whether you look at Buddha or Jesus or Krishna or... Um, or others uh, have that, you know, you, you must only look at the, the Buddha within, right? Take responsibility for your own world. And what they mean by that is that we get thrown a lot of stuff to believe, a lot of dogma and a lot of ideas to believe during our lives. And at some point we might get interested in truth uh, and personal growth and spiritual growth. And that means that I get to sort out all the trash that accumulated in my mind uh, and, and dump what doesn't work. And so only I can take responsibility for my mind and how it's programmed. So 
that starts with all the, the, the sages and spiritual leaders. Um, and from there, um, I would say the uh, philosophers um, and, you know, starting with Socrates and the existentialists and the Stoics were all into personal responsibility. And then some modern, more modern psychologists, um, specifically uh, Alfred Adler, uh, who was a student of Freud's until he had an insight one day that he could no longer align with Freud, where Freud said that we're fundamentally disintegrated as human beings. Adler said we're fundamentally integrated, but that integration gets broken with trauma. Uh, and so our job in life is to reintegrate ourselves. Um, so a lot of the work that was done in 60s and 70s around uh, responsible parenting, I think there's a great book called Redirecting Children's Behavior, which is about taking true responsibility as a parent uh, for raising responsible children. So that was all based on Adlerian psychology. And then there was this wild uh, seminar leader in the 60s named Werner Earhart and uh, Est Seminars, Earhart Seminar Training. And uh, he had this concept of being above the line and below the line. Uh, which he also called owning it and not owning it. And so this would be the line right here. If you're looking on the video in my background, the responsibility oh. process chart behind me. But if you're not seeing that, just envision a line and above the line, you're owning it and below the line, you're not owning it. Um, and so he used this principle and taught it widely. And he could be very caustic with it, you know, calling people out and saying, you're not owning it. <laughs> He's, he's famous for not allowing people to go to the bathroom during seminars and, you know, they complain and, you know, he says, you're not owning it. And there's a story about him. Apparently, this is a common setup where a seminar would start on a Thursday or Friday evening. And as they dismiss, they say, you know, we start at eight o'clock sharp tomorrow morning. Be here. Uh, and people show up at 805, 810, 815. The doors are locked. Right? They started at eight and locked the doors for those who weren't there. Wow. And the staff tells them to wait around and, and Werner will talk to him at break. Right. And so they're livid and, and upset and frustrated. They paid all this money and they wouldn't let him in. And he said, when are you going to own it? You made an agreement. Be here at eight. <laughs> so I, my, my mentor's mentor worked with Werner Earhart. My mentor's mentor is a man named Marshall Thurber, who's a very highly regarded seminar leader. Um, Tony Robbins studied with him. Jack Canfield studied with him. Um, Deepak Chopra studied with him. Um, and uh, Marshall just started looking at distinctions in people's behavior above and below the line. Um, and he had a student who's my mentor, whose name is Bill McCarley, who lives here in Austin, Texas, where I do. And Bill and Marshall would compare notes as they worked with clients. And they would listen to clients talk about their troubles and what they were coping with and the reasons why they can't have what they want and the reasons that they, they can't be happy. And living over a thousand miles apart, they were each building the same stack of words. Wow. Uh, which comprise the responsibility process. And each, each word stands for a, a mindset or a point of view about why you can't have what you want. Each word also is a form of denying our own responsibility. Uh, and of course, it's a form of coping uh, with thinking that it can't be any better. Uh, and that's how the responsibility process came to be. And I was introduced to it by my mentor, Bill McCarley in the early 90s. And it blew my mind because at that time, I had finished my third degree in uh, organization science, communication, psychology. I'd finished my doctorate. And here I am in, in his office looking at this model. And it was the most profound model of, of normal psychology, normal mean, meaning the normal mind, not the genius mind or the, or the uh, defective mind, but the normal psychology. It was the most profound model of normal psychology I'd ever seen. Uh, so that's a long, a long introduction to how I got to it. 
Well, it's so fascinating. I think um, one of the things that I notice is um, it wasn't an overnight thing. Like you've been, you've been doing this for a long time and your success is due to the fact that you've been doing it a long time. Um, most people, they look at something, they maybe try it for a few minutes and then quit, or maybe a year if they're lucky. But what drove you to say, to see that and say, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to run with this. And how did that, that evolve? Uh, there's two components. One would be, a, uh, I, I guess a, a component of craftsmanship and business. Um, the other would be a personal, um, pursuit. So part of it, so, so let's start with the personal one. The personal one was that I, I felt something that wasn't right in me, uh, in my late teens and early twenties. Um, and what it was, was that I had uh, a way of being very critical and demeaning of others very quickly. And I didn't like it. And I couldn't use the behavioral science I knew. I knew how to train a dog to sit and run. And, <laughs> you know, so I tried all the behavioral conditioning stuff I knew to try and change myself. I couldn't do it. So I knew there was something deep in me, deeper programming. I probably didn't have the programming word at that time to talk about that deeper conditioning or programming. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I was at a pretty young age, 20s, in a search for uh, tools that I could use to find my own integrity. Back to that wow. idea of the, the Alfred Adler idea of reintegrating ourselves. Um, and it was maybe 10 or 12 years into that search that I found the responsibility process in Bill McCarley's office. And it just, it felt like I'd found the tool that I was looking for. So I think that was, you know, so intention is one of the three keys to responsibility. And I think at that day, that day in his office in the early nineties, I think I set a profound intention to, um, to master this, this tool of the responsibility process. The work side, is that at that time we'd formed Partner Works. We had a big hit workshop uh, in IBM that was in labs all over the all over the US. Um, a little bit international, not much, but a little bit. Uh, and had this bumbling little company trying to figure out what business we were in and what products and services we should offer and how to market ourselves. And um, and I realized that uh, my success was due to taking 100% responsibility for figuring out uh, what happens when teams get built and how they don't get built. And I methodically, during those early years, methodically figured out a system that was repetitive that I could teach to others that had a very high reliability of giving a team a, a great chance of coming together. Uh, and that was the dawn of the whole project management industry uh, at that time. Uh, so, uh, so there was a lot of opportunity. So the responsibility process became um, something in the engine of our teamwork business. Uh, and in fact, it became in our, in our team orientation process, which we write about in this book, Teamwork is an Individual Skill, Getting Your Work Done When Sharing Responsibility. Right? We, we say the first step in building a great team is that, number one, you have to take responsibility for being on a great team. And that means you have to take responsibility for being worthy of being on a great team, being the kind of person that others want on their team. And then you also have to know what it takes to build a team and be willing to have those conversations regardless of whether you have the authority to you know quote lead that team or not so uh so for years that's the role the responsibility work played is it, it played a you know one of the components under the engine uh, of our team building stuff wow fascinating um and going into that i'm sure everyone at this point is dying what is this responsibility process that we've been talking about? So from, you know, your mouth, you wrote the book on it. 
explain to us what the responsibility process is. What does it mean to be above and below the line? Yeah. Good. Thank you. That's really all I have to offer anybody. So I'm glad, I'm glad you, you have here and now. So <clears throat> we have, as we go through life experiencing life, we consciously or unconsciously set expectations, right? So I sit down to dinner and I expect that that baked potato is going to be good. You know? <laughs> so we go through life, we set these expectations consciously or not, and then we have the experience around what it is we had an expectation for. And if the experience is acceptable to us, then that's great. We're happy and we can actually say that we're in a mental state of ownership. Right? So if I sit down and my baked potato is great, right, then I'm happy, I'm, I'm, I'm having pleasure. Uh, and I'm owning my life. But if we experience something that's not quite right, right? So if my baked potato is undercooked or if it's mush or whatever, spoiled, it's not quite right, then my expectations are not met. And so now I've got this, I'm having experience and it's not acceptable, it's actually unacceptable, right? And in fact, the idea of not quite right is what we call a problem. And so a problem is when what you want, so I'm using my hand in front of my face as a force vector. So what you want meets what you don't want, right? And at that point, you've got stasis, you've got, you're stopped, you've got equilibrium. And that throws off heat or energy or friction in the mind which causes problems. That's our definition of a problem or the anatomy of a problem. And when that happens, it, it triggers the responsibility process and we enter the responsibility process at the bottom. So if you're listening, I want you to either write down or, or just remember a, a short stack of words. And uh, the words starting at the bottom are lay blame and the next word up is justify, and above that is shame, and above that is obligation, and then there's that line, and above that is responsibility. And each of these is a mental state. This is what's so fascinating to me about it, starting with the idea of a problem, which means all problems are really in here. They're not out there, but our society teaches us Ooh, that they're out there. That's but, good. But until you solve it in here, you can't do anything about it out there. So if I'm, if I'm confronting a problem at lay blame, I'm going to be totally ineffective uh, at doing anything about it. So uh, each of these is a mental state that already exists. This isn't something anybody invented. They simply discovered it by observing a lot of people and how they talk about their problems. And so it's natural. So there's nothing wrong with you if you experience yourself blaming or justifying or beating yourself up in shame or in obligation. There's nothing wrong with you. You're highly conditioned to do these things. You're both, you're both designed to go there when things aren't right in your world. And then society has conditioning that keeps you there. So in blame, we're sure that somebody else is our problem and we're a victim. In justify, we're sure that some situation or set of conditions is the problem the weather, the economy, the traffic, um, the bureaucracy, the culture, you know, justify it's the most pernicious uh, coping mechanism that we have. It's, it's, we use it all the time. I mean, how often do we say, I didn't have time, right? And we all know the truth is you had all the time in the world. You just yep. didn't prioritize it. Yeah. Right? Um, or you didn't call for an extension, or you didn't ask for help, or whatever it is, right? If we, so blame and justify our externalizing, we're venting. If we decide to stop doing that, and that's the secret here, the secret of practicing responsibility is to actually be aware of these mental states, catch ourselves doing it, and stop. And when you stop, you graduate upwards. So if I catch myself in blame and, and say, no, I'm not going to blame, it's not going to do me any good. Then the next thing that happens is I find myself telling myself a story about what happened. Mm 
And if I say, okay, I'm not going to buy my story of justify, then the next thing is I feel bad, right? I hang my head and I feel guilty. I, I did this to me. I'm the dummy. I'm the dolt. I'm so stupid. Will I never learn? Yeah. Right? And Kevin, what I've learned about this is professionals, especially in our world, smart, high performers, we are really programmed around shame and obligation. When I start teaching responsibility to smart people, they're pretty good at catching on to blame and justify pretty quickly in catching themselves, wow. but they are so programmed to shame and obligation. And it's only because our parenting systems and our school systems and our management systems are designed all around that. Oh. Right. So how do you become a straight A engineering student? <laughs> you stay quiet, you stand in line, you do as you're told you, right. You do all your obligations and you feel bad if you make mistakes so that, so that the people in charge of you can control you through your shame. Talk more about that. I want, I, that's fascinating. So high achievers, business owners, CEOs, high achievers tend to stick in the blame, the shame. And you said we're conditioned to, can you expound on that a little bit more of what you mean by we're conditioned to? Sure. Um, at a pretty young age in most cultures, there's a phrase that's used by parents or older brothers or sisters or aunts and uncles or babysitters um, and then by teachers. And the phrase is, what's wrong with you? Right? Oh, look what you did. You spilled the milk. What's wrong with you? Oh, my gosh. How many times do you think that was thrown at you when when you were young. Wow. Yeah. So the smarter we are, what we quickly learn, this is all subconscious. This is all below the level of consciousness. I got we, chills when you said that, by the way, that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we use shame as a control mechanism. We shame people to get them into action because shaming someone causes more anxiety. And the way that we alleviate anxiety is through action. Right. So people talk about going to the gym to blow off steam or going out for a run to decompress or whatever. So when when a when a, a leader, manager, parent shames us, then we take on that shame and we look for a way to get into action to please them. The issue there is whether or not the action that we get into is really valuable in any way and especially if, is it valuable to us or are we just doing it in order to seek approval and and get out of the the shame um and and the between shame and obligation is how we design work systems right so so many people at work have a trouble making a distinction between obligation and and true responsibility so obligation is feeling burdened, it's feeling trapped, it's feeling trapped in a promise or a commitment uh, that you think you can't get out of. So I have to go to work, I don't get a paycheck, I have to pay the mortgage, um, I have to make my spouse happy, have to, have to, have to, I have to take the kids uh, to their things after to, to, to karate, you know, have to, have to, have to, have to, have to, have to, have to. And we actually use the word responsibility for that. That's my responsibility as a parent, as a dad, as a worker, as a, right, whatever. So the word responsibility has a thousand meanings to it, and it could be replaced for each of the words on this whole chart, right? So when someone has an obligation mindset and you talk to them about greater responsibility, they say, oh, no, I've got enough. I don't need any more. So that's, that's responsibility as obligation. So the other thing behind shame and obligation is um, that uh, you've probably heard a model of the mind that we have an upper mind and a lower mind. The lower mind is the defensive mind, the resistant mind, the ego mind. The upper mind is the generative, creative mind, the genius mind in all of us. And you can also put the line right there between the upper mind and the lower line mind because 
if you look at our drivers in the lower mind, our drivers are approval, safety, and control. Approval, safety, and control. How do we get approval, safety, and control? Blame, justify, shame, and obligation. Wow. Right. And why are work systems and, and school systems designed around shame and obligation? Approval, safety, and control. Right. So students must seek the approval of the teachers. I, I teach people to approach, approach their charges with pre-approval. Don't explain, explain that. Pre-approval is not requiring anybody to prove themselves to you, to prove their worth as a human being. I, I pre-approve of everybody I interact with, even if it's the homeless person on the street that I'm deciding whether or not to give a dollar to or a bottle of water or go to McDonald's and get them a burger. And that's what you teach teachers to do is approve of everybody. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Approve of them as, as worthy human beings. Right. So, and then I give up control. I don't try to control anybody else's behavior in any way. Um, I, I had an experience over the last few years, Kevin, of um, finally relieving myself of the kind of low integrity internet marketing approaches that I thought I had to use because I didn't know any better, but I finally learned uh, a very high integrity um, marketing system. So I no longer use hyperbole. I no longer have ethical bribes. Um, I, I just try and, and find, I try and allow my audience to find me and build a relationship with them by providing value to them before they spend a penny. Um, yeah. And I, I never make them an offer that they haven't asked me to make to them. Right. So you actually have to click a link and some other email something in order to get a sales letter from me. I mean, in the long run, that's maybe a little bit slower, but in the long run, you know, it, it makes it so that you have very, very loyal um, clients, but that's kind of side side um, going there a little bit because I'm in, I'm in that space and I definitely know what you're talking about. What led you to that? No, I'm not bound by this anymore. I'm moving here. What was kind of the, the switch? Uh, it was really a, a one company coming on my radar that teaches this, that operates this way and teaches it. Um, and, uh, so Andre Chaperone and Sean Twig are their names and the company is tinylittlebusinesses.com. Um, so they teach this. And when I ran across their stuff, uh, it floored me. Um, and I just suggested to my team that we dip into it. Uh, and, and we have, cool. so yeah, there's a, yeah, there's some articles at my website about that. And when people go to responsibly.com and they can read what we do with your email address and it refers to that work. And um, we talk about the great pivot that we made in 2021 um, and it refers to that. And we talk about a kind of a rededication to what we're here for and it, it refers to that. Very so. cool. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, so I was talking about the lower mind um, in the, so in the mental state of response. So we've been through blame, justify, shame, a little bit about obligation, which is where most of us in the working world spend too much of our time saying that we have to do this and we have to do that. And to that, I recommend to people that you stop yourself when you catch the have to word and you substitute anything that implies that you're, you don't have shackles on your ankles, that you are actually at choice about driving the kids to karate. You're actually at choice about paying your mortgage. Um, and so it's, I get to go to the bathroom. I want to have lunch. I want to go grocery shopping for 
the meal prep that that I want to have for this weekend. Um, I want to iron the clothes. Can you do that? Um, and then, so responsibility is the mental state that we call freedom, choice, and power. So responsibility doesn't mean being good. Obligation means being good, right? Responsibility in our world, capital R responsibility, means the ability to respond. It means when you have that experience and your experience is suboptimal and not quite right, you're always going to go below the line, right? And you're always going to start with a thought of blame and catch yourself and let it go and a thought of justifying, catch yourself and let it go and a thought of shame and hopefully you can catch yourself and let it go, although we're so good at hanging on to it there and get to obligation. And if you want to be free from obligation, just refuse to be trapped, refuse to stay trapped. And you start to access the part of your mind where you can either change anything in your life or you can totally accept it. One or the other. Those are the two choices you have there. You can totally accept it. So it's no longer a problem, right? It's acceptable to you, whatever it is, or you can change something about it uh, so that you have what you want. So we call the mental state of responsibility, the the space of freedom, choice, and power. And when you're in that mental state, you are tapping into your unique inspiration, right? So your responsible answer is going to be different than my responsible answer for that situation because your inspiration, what you're interested in, what you want to experience in your life is different than mine. And you also tap into your unique genius, Right? Your unique skill sets, your unique tools, your unique views on life, your unique experiences. You put together your unique inspiration and your unique genius, and you can solve any problem if you're in this headspace of responsibility, the ability to respond. What I just heard from you is that unless someone gets into, you know, I'm taking notes the um into responsibility which is the ability to respond in the state of freedom choice and power where you can tap into your unique creative inspiration and your unique genius if someone for example stays at obligation and says i have to do this i have to be at my job i have to do this i have to do this for my wife i have to do this for my kids they will never or very rarely tap into their unique creative inspiration and their unique genius Yes, and they get to keep that problem. Oh my gosh. There's only one place where you can solve problems, one place in your mind where you can solve problems. Everywhere else, you're just coping with them. Yeah, so until you get to the mental state of responsibility, you can't really solve any problem. All you can do is cope with it. And we have a million coping mechanisms. We hope things will change. Uh, We keep our heads down. Um, you know, we diminish ourselves, uh, we carry around a lot of drama, a lot of story, right? Um, in the, in, I don't know if this is all over the world. Some of your listeners may know this. There's a app called nextdoor.com, uh, and people can communicate with their neighbors around stuff. And, um, I monitor nextdoor.com. Uh, I'm relatively new, like three years in my neighborhood. It's a different part of town than I've lived in before. Um, And uh, it's so full of drama, right? So people report that somebody stole my bike off my porch. And then there's 50 comments just full of drama, 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 advice, those horrible people. What's the world? What's happening with the world? Below the line. (laughs) All blame and justify. Yeah. In fact, most of the news is blame and justify. And most discussion around problems in media and social media is blame and justify. I'm scared to ask this question, but I'm so curious. And if anyone knows it, it would be you. If you had to guess, maybe, you know, if you had to guess what percentage of, let's just say the United States, because, you know, or world, if you want to say what percentage of the United States do you believe live the majority of their life 
below the line, not taking responsibility every day. 99.9. That's more, have you read Outwitting the Devil? Where Have you read that book? I don't know that book. Napoleon Hill? He says I know that Napoleon 90- Hill. I don't know that book though. Yeah. It's a, I think you'd enjoy it. Um, this is kind of a side tangent. He wrote it in like 1930, was scared to release it, didn't. And then, you know, finally his family released it here in 2011, 2012. Um, really fascinating. But he says 98% of uh, the population are drifters, which is similar to not taking responsibility. So, um, wow, right. 99.9. Well, so our society teaches us to be good conformers yeah, and, and do as we're supposed to do. So, you know, I'll repeat, we are highly conditioned to hang out in these coping mechanisms. Um, very few of us were raised in a way that we could really get to know uh, the responsibility part of our mind. Um, because we were raised in pretty controlling systems, right? So just as an example, I, you know, I think one of the coolest systems for uh, education for kids is Montessori and Montessori turns over a tremendous amount of responsibility for learning and and growth to the child uh, at the very beginning. And, and and teachers come with pre-approval of every child, right? Um, so, yeah. So there's nothing wrong. With that. So this is a cool thing. Is this is a fairly accessible system in your mind that's always been there, and um, and you probably weren't shown how to use it, and society just you got swept up in society's conditioning. Yeah. And so it's, you know, I, it's, I, I don't mean, I don't mean to be cruel or judgmental when I say 99% of people aren't practicing responsibility yeah. on a daily basis. It's just that we haven't thought critically about how we're using our own mind and, and how our mind is using us. Very reactive state that most people live in. Very reactive um, state. I, we're running up on time and I'm still just giddy. And I have a list of questions now that we've walked through the responsibility process that I'm just so curious about. So, um, we'll see how many we can get through. Sure. So, um, Ooh, which one do I start with? We already answered that one. Um, how, how does someone know, and maybe you already kind of answered this, how do I know that I'm in the responsibility state and not maybe in like the gray of below the line where I think I'm taking responsibility, but I'm not? Yeah, you feel good about yourself. You feel free. You feel joyous. You feel that what's in front of you is acceptable. Um, there's, there's one kind of more advanced way of knowing it. And that is after you develop a responsibility practice, you can get to the state of responsibility, but you haven't solved the problem yet, but you know, you can and will. Right. The power's in you. Right. Yeah. So... Um, I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was mentoring a person. I use the language of mentoring rather than coaching because I actually mentor people in how I think. Hmm. Um, that's all I have to offer them. I, I can mentor them. I can mentor them in responsibility thinking. Yeah. Would you ever use the word coaching? Or sorry, when would you or would you not ever use the word coaching? Sorry, who would use the word coaching? Use <laughs> who would use the word coaching? So I think the primary difference between mentoring and coaching is I, I think that I can coach something that I don't have any expertise in. Mm. Right. Cool. I think I can be a good 
coach. Um, I was a shotgun coach for eight years. I coached beginners and intermediates. I didn't coach the advanced kids. And the only reason I was a coach was because I was a dad with a kid in the target clay shotgun program. Right. Yeah. So, so I have Sorry, enough communication skills and teach and teaching skills. Right. And I learned, I learned to be a decent shot so I could coach, but for me, a, a mentor is someone who is helping pave a path for somebody else that that person has already been through. Interesting. Cool. Sorry. That was totally, that's all right. So, so you were mentoring one. So I was mentoring yesterday. somebody, I was mentoring somebody yesterday and um, this person uh, had an upset around a personal relationship, a longtime friend. This friend had betrayed her a number of times um, uh, just with bad behavior and apologizing and taking the apology back and repeating the bad behavior. Um, and so this person was, was running through, you know, how to confront this and, and what to do. And she didn't realize, but she was, what happens to most of us when we start thinking about a relationship and what the other person is doing uh, is we're actually blaming the person. They're our problem. Our problem is that person. Right. And I asked her a whole bunch of questions to finally get her to the place where she said, I'm just confused about what I want and how to get it. I said, now you're doing responsibility thinking. Right. So it's not about this other person. Right. And what she did. It's if you're, if you get to the place where you say, I'm confused about what I want in this relationship and how to get it now you're probably above the line. And I said, okay, then now, now I can help you, <laughs> right? Because I, one of my principles is clarity leads to power. And I know that in confusion, I stop. So when I'm confused, I stop. Mm. And when I'm clear, I go. Mm. So I love knowing when I'm confused. All I have to do is admit, own the fact I'm confused about this situation in my life. Uh, and then I can start looking into it and kind of picking out the pieces in my mind about what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, where's something missing, what am I uncertain about, where am I acting on some kind of drama or a lie, uh, you know, et cetera. Yeah, that's perfect. No, I kind, of for, kind of forget why I, was, why I was telling you that, but the idea was to be able to recognize confusion as... yeah as not coping, but not yet solving. And yeah. It's a place of ownership. I think you, I think we we're going, the question was, you know, how does someone know, um, or oh, yeah. how do I know that I'm taking responsibility and owning it versus getting stuck? So that, I think that's perfect. Yeah. Generally, generally what happens as you practice responsibility is you feel more and more in charge of your life. And because uh, below the line, you don't feel in charge of your life. It's out there. Yeah. And what if there's a line that my mentor, Bill McCarley, once said when I asked him, how do you know? He said, show me someone who has what they want and wants what they have. And I'll show you someone in responsibility. Whoa. <laughs> show me. I'll have to go back and write that down. That's okay. Yeah. Um, where would you say most, I mean, people that listen, so let's, let's be real. The people that are going to stop and listen to this more likely than not are not, not that there's anything wrong with people that don't listen to this, but if you're listening to this, you're, and to this point, you're a high achiever, you wanting to improve, you wanting to get better. So, um, you may have already answered this, but I think I remember you saying that most people get stuck if they're a high achiever in obligation, right? Actually, mo most people just get stuck anywhere here. So, okay. um, so there's not one place specifically. So, so here's something our studies do show is we all have a favorite hangout. So I call these islands in the mind where we get marooned on the island. Someone even made a little treasure map with the responsibility process, uh, each mental stage being a different island. So we all have a place that we cope at the most. Um, so 
I have a CEO friend in Bulgaria who's got a very successful, sizable software company and a great product line. And we met about 10 years ago, and um, it was only the last year that he's worked with me uh, as you know, having me as his mentor. And he said, I, I only realized recently that I love Justify. He says, I've, I've spent my life in Justify. And a lot of engineers do, because there's a tiny little line between reasoning and, and a story or Justify, right? And engineers learn how to reason. They're all about logic. Um, so there's some place that we all hang out more than other places. Um, Mine, as I as I developed this, mine was shame. Um, so I seemed to be more conditioned to shame than I was to the other ones. Uh, and then there are some of these levels where we seem to just blast right through them. So, if, you know, so for each person is unique that way. Each person has a place they tend to hang out and another place where they tend to spend no time there at all. Hmm. Interesting. I yeah. Want an example or... So quick example, I was working with a, an editor uh, on an article I was writing for a journal. And um, she asked me uh, if you have to visit each mental state as you go up or if you can skip states or go straight from blame to responsibility. Uh, and she said, the reason is that I seem to go straight to shame. Mm. Uh, and and I wrote her back and I asked her, I said, can you think of a time you did that re recently? And then can you think of what you were thinking about just before you landed on shame? And she said, yeah, I was telling myself some stupid story about set of circumstances beyond my control. Right, so her mind went to justify and she dismissed it immediately and her mind went to shame and she grabbed it. Okay. Yeah. And that kind of leads me right into my next question. What have you found that the most successful people, um, well, most successful in taking responsibility, what have you found that they do to get as quickly as possible to responsibility? They, they build what I call a responsibility practice, right? So, uh, you know, the closest metaphor would be a yoga practice right? A practice, something that you do every day deliberately. Um, and the reason is that I no longer think of myself as a responsible person. I was raised to be a responsible person, but that meant I was good, a do-gooder and beat myself up and conform to Obligate. society's expectations. So I've decided I checked the box there, right? I have checked that box. I'm a good citizen. Society approves of me for the most part and the parts that they may not approve of me. I don't care. Um, but things go wrong in my world all day, every day. Right. And every time something goes wrong, it triggers the responsibility process and my mind is invited to go to blame. So that means every day I get to practice responsibility over and over and over and over and over every time something goes wrong. And to build a responsibility practice, you start developing your consciousness. So, so this is really a consciousness practice, an awareness practice around the three keys to responsibility. And the three keys are intention. What do I want? What inspires me? You know, what, what will I find acceptable to experience in my life in and out every day? Awareness, starting with, where am I trying to solve problems from in my mind, right? What's it like to be me when I'm in blame, justify shame, obligation, so that I can catch myself, right? Understanding there's nothing wrong with me. If I'm human, I've got this thing built in my mind. So develop the awareness uh, of these things and then eventually develop awareness of far greater truths. Um, for instance, this person I was mentoring yesterday one of the truths that we talked about uh, was that there's nothing wrong with her friend who was providing behavior that she didn't like. Right. Um, 
So we believe that everybody is always doing the best they know how, given their consciousness in that situation, right? So she shifted her thinking from her friend being bad, right? To her friend just being in a different place in conscious consciousness than she yeah, is. So that. awareness of, so we're always learning bigger, better truths and getting rid of lies that we had installed in our minds uh, earlier in our life. And then the third is confront. And confront just means the ability to face. What can I face? And at what level can I face something? Um, so it has to do with us being willing to face our own uh, fear and our, our own anxiety and stand in the mirror and taking ownership of a problem and saying, oh, this confusion is mine, right? Um, the problem is here. All problems are defined in the mind. Am I willing to face that around whatever problem I'm having? Yeah. So it's, it's applying intention, awareness, confront, intention, awareness, confront over and over. The process is just a signal device in the mind. Um, that's all. It just helps you know where you are. And the other thing that people do who practice responsibility at high levels is they get into a, a community of, of other people practicing um, so that's basically what I do is I build communities of people who are studying responsibility and we're all different levels of teachers and learners uh, in the system. My uh, faculty is, is people who've just been in the, the programs longer. Um, and what that does is it shows you a culture of responsibility and what behavior looks like in a culture of responsibility and what communication looks like in a culture of responsibility. And, what thinking looks like in a culture of responsibility. And that's important because you live in a culture of coping. Um, one, of my, uh, one of my students says, trying to practice responsibility by yourself is like trying to quit smoking when you live in a house full of smokers. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I, I'm, I'm here for people who want to take charge of their life by taking charge of their mind. And that, that leads me actually to, well, I, I, I've got a couple more, but we'll do two more. That's fine. Uh, and we'll, I don't know. Are you, are you, uh, tight I'm on good time? on time. Okay. Yeah. That kind of leads me into this question of, it was really interesting when me and you hopped on the phone, you said something that resonated with me. And then I thought about a lot afterwards. You said, um, you said, people don't like to buy this type of stuff. You, you said, people don't want to work on themselves, something like that. Maybe not word for word, but something like that. Why, why, uh, why'd you say that? That was interesting. Um, <clears throat> so gosh, let me get my, get my answers together here. So a number of years ago, I had a couple of jobs. I, I was doing mostly corporate consulting work and I was using my teamwork and responsibility material. And I had two different gigs where I was doing some pretty high level leadership development work in an organization. And in these, in these situations, the top person and their inner circle, let's call it, the C person and their VPs, right? They all said thumbs up, yeah, we'll participate in that Christopher Avery stuff. But then they made sure their directors and managers were, were there. And those top people didn't show up. And I was doing really deep work. And about six weeks into it, these directors started asking me, Christopher, are, are our bosses attending? And I said, well, why do you ask? And they said, well, because given the way they're still treating us, it doesn't look like it. Those people decided they deserved better bosses. And they left and they found much better leaders and much better cultures to work in. And I'm still very close to some of them to this day, and they've risen to great heights in brands that you would recognize. And they have me 
come regularly and work with their folks and give me testimonials like, you know, I've learned so many things uh, in the last 15 years as I've moved from this brand to this brand to this brand to this brand. And now I'm CIO or CEO, but the most important thing is practicing responsibility. Um, so I decided I could no longer take work from executive A that wants me to change group B because the problem isn't with group B. Uh, so when it comes to consulting work, I'm always looking for a client who wants to go first. Mm. And most people in that position think that something else somewhere else is the problem. So they're not completely owning the system. Um, and then at the individual consumer level, because we do consumer level business too, let me just put it this way. There's a whole bunch of philosophers and psychologists and others who have said that most people don't want to be free. They just want to feel safe. Right, so remember the lower mind is safety, approval, control, and the upper mind is the creative genius and creative inspiration. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's it. I'm pretty straightforward about what I have to offer and what, what people can do uh, to develop it. And I think, you know, one thing is the word responsibility is so laden with baggage. Uh, it's a dumb name for what we're trying to do. And it's the only name to use. Yeah. So, yes, that's it. Awesome. Um, let's just do two more questions. And I just want to thank you so much for your time um, and impacting myself and so many people who are going to listen to this. And, you know, sticking with what you're doing to be able to impact so many people, um, which obviously you've done. So thank you so much for being here. Before we get into this last couple of questions, where's the best place people can go to grab your um, amazing book, which I highly recommend? Oh, yeah, cool. So the book is called, the, the more recent book is called The Responsibility Process, uh, Unlocking Your Natural Ability to Live and Lead with Power. Uh, it's available wherever books are sold. Uh, and um, most people go to Amazon uh, or what other, whatever online book market uh, you want. Bulk orders through my company at responsibility.com. Awesome. So, and you can find me at responsibility.com. And uh, we've designed the homepage there to answer the question of where should you start? So you should find a, a lot of guidance right on the homepage. Fantastic domain, by the way. What I'm curious, what did you have to pay to get that? <laughs> uh, it's a good story. Um, uh, sometime in 2018, I think it was, I just, I, I'd never looked up responsibly.com. And so one day I looked it up and I saw it was a, site that hadn't been updated in four or five years and it wasn't being monetized. And um, a consultant friend of mine uh, introduced himself to the person who owned the site and found that it was a side project that he'd started years ago for a little booklet that he wrote for, um, uh, for like junior high or high school church groups and for facilitators. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was based on the theme that if you have rights, then you have responsibilities. Uh, so it was a citizenship, morality, ethical theme. Um, and he uh, made his living as a, a rock and roller and a novelist. Um, so it was a number of months of back and forth talking with him and expressing our interest. And um, uh, finally, uh, the consultant bowed out of the way and I met with him directly. And I made an appeal to him uh, to tell us, sell us the site at a, a pretty reasonable deal and that we would carry on his mission. And I couldn't think of anybody else that would carry on his mission. Um, so I, I got it for about the value of a, of a seminar. Wow, awesome. That is, it's a great, great domain. 
Um, okay. Last two and a half questions was the last question is pretty simple, but um, how can someone apply this in their, well, how can someone apply this in their marriage? But maybe the question isn't so much, how can you apply it in your marriage? Maybe the question is, as you're applying it, no matter what you, where you are, what you're doing, who you're with. Um, so maybe the real question is how can it improve your marriage? And I know in the book you mentioned, don't go around pointing to people you're on this point in the responsibility process. Like you can't point out other people on the responsibility process. So how can it help a marriage? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So, um, this is a good point for me to, to roll out this message, uh, which is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you start thinking about your spouse and uh, analyzing your spouse based on the responsibility process, please do not pick up the phone and call your spouse and say, honey, I now know what's wrong with you. You're stuck in justify, right? It will not work. And it will backfire. You will, you will activate his or her defensive part of their brain. Um, and then you get to take responsibility for activating that. Um, yeah, so you, um, one, of our, one of our strong messages of awareness is that this only works when self-applied. So it's a self-leadership tool. It's a tool for me to lead myself uh, towards my dreams, towards what inspires me and using my my genius towards what I want to experience, what I want to have in my life. Um, and it's, it always backfires as a management tool or a tool for trying to control somebody else. So um, to use it in a marriage, the, the coolest way would be for uh, both parties to start together and to start studying it together and building a practice together. Um, and we have couples uh, in our program who actually lead uh, part of our programs who have, who have done this. Um, and what I will tell you is it's still worth practicing by yourself. Um, and it will call on you to have different conversations with your spouse. Oops, I'm not, you got muted. Oh, I got muted. It's probably more sophisticated conversations um, than maybe would have been otherwise. Yeah. And uh, my second to last question, the last question is just a short one. Um, and this was just kind of a curious thing as you were talking, you know, you talked, you mentioned uh, religions and I'm curious because a lot of people live religion of, I have to keep the commandments. I have to go to church. I mean, it's like, I have to, I have to, I have to, can someone, you know, be religious and follow something they believe in? Is it just a matter of switching the language to I'm choosing to, I want to, I get to, is that the switch? Is that as, as easy as it is? Yeah. What I actually alluded to was the, the, the avatars, the sages on which religions are founded, right? The religions themselves, um, have a whole bunch of coping mechanisms in them and a whole lot of invented stuff that wasn't actually taught by the sage. That's my belief about all the world's religions. Um, so uh, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a lot of what I would call control systems uh, in religions. And it's what a lot of people get turned off about mm -hmm. uh, from religions and they, re they reject religion and they reject God. And to me, those are not the same thing. So I, I used to be a religionist and today I'm a spiritualist and I study, I try to study the truth, the closest to the founders uh, of that truth that I can. And it's the same across all of them, as I mentioned, Jesus and Buddha and Krishna and, and others. So, um, and I think what you just said, is it as simple as turning it from have to, to want to, that's a really good place to start. Okay. This is honestly, I can say with complete um, sincerity that this has been one of my favorite podcasts. I think I've done over 60, um, had a lot of interesting people on, but this has been by far one of the most insightful for me. 
So I just thank you again for being here, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your, is it three decades of studying this, right? Is it three decades now? Well, incredible. So the last question, um, and I'm excited to hear your response. It's a question I ask every uh, guest is what does the fight against mediocrity mean to you? <clears throat> I pulled up a little essay uh, written by Stuart Emery years ago in a book called Actualizations, You Don't Have to Rehearse to Be Yourself. The, ester the name of the, of the essay is Mastery. And let me find the place. Second paragraph starts this way. It is remarkable how much mediocrity we live with, surrounding ourselves with daily reminders that the average is the acceptable. Our world suffers from terminal normality. Take a moment to assess all of the things around you that promote your being average. These are the things that keep you powerless to go beyond a limit you arbitrarily set for yourself. I'll stop there. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not, but you're speaking my language. <laughs> Man, on a mission, I'm a kid, you know I be on a way.